Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We are so close to the start of the 2021 college tennis season. In fact, this weekend, we will see our first dual matches of the year. I know I speak for all of us when I say that is something we can absolutely look forward to. But of course, we still have a little bit of previewing to do here at Crack Rackets. We are rolling through our college contender series, breaking down our top 11 teams heading into this 2021 Division I men's season. We are all the way up to the number two team in our preseason rankings. Really excited for today's conversation and joining me as they always do for these podcasts, the two other members of our college tennis holy trinity. Let's start with where we, the man we always start with. You know him as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, your favorite writer on our website, CrackedRackets.com, and of course, the other half, neither better nor worse half the other half of Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot as always. How pumped are you for this season to begin this weekend? Yeah, man, we're, uh, we made it. We're finally here. Um, it's always a little bit bittersweet right at the end of the college contenders because, you know, I know all three of us enjoy talking about these schools so much. So uh, we're coming to an end, but obviously what that means is we're starting the season, which is certainly exciting. So uh, ready to get into it, man. I'm, I'm uh, happy that we finally get to talk about some ACC contenders, uh, historically my favorite conference in the country, the ACC. So uh, should be a fun one tonight. Yeah, people say I'm the biased one. We have two ACC teams to round out our preseason top 11. Clearly, this is the Matt Stokowiak show. We are just all otherwise here for the ride and joining us to be along on this ride as he always is as well. You know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the professor, the snitch, the one-armed designer. Designer. It's Chris Hallioris. Chris, hey, great shot, my friend. Sad to see you're wearing a shirt on this podcast, but glad to see you're holding up. You're feeling better? Yeah, a little better. I'm glad to see I got a, a new line in the intro there. That's that's, that's good. <laughs> One, getting, getting that other arm back slowly but surely. Get to start physical therapy this week, but it's all good. Yeah, you know, no one ever loved you for your backhand, so it's all good. You know, you only need the this one arm there. This is feel like... definitely a true statement. Yeah, so we are just happy you are feeling well, and of course, always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Yeah, it's crazy to say, but we are going to get to see some college tennis matches this season, and a lot of things have happened since the three of us last came together, and of course, we are inching closer and closer now, about a week and a half away from the ITA kickoff weekend. We've got a lot of college tennis content scheduled for all of you listeners, so on today's show, we're just going to focus on our college contender series, on our number two team. 
team Wake Forest, but rest assured, here's what we have for you before the kickoff weekend begins next Friday. Uh, Of course, we are going to do an ITA kickoff weekend preview podcast that will be released either Tuesday, Wednesday next week. We'll go through the seven host sites, break down what we see to expect to happen, any upsets we may see, how our perspectives have changed since the draft concluded about a month ago. Of course, we also want to talk about the rankings, and we know the individual rankings have come out by the time you all are listening to this show. We know the team rankings will come out tomorrow, meaning Thursday. Once we have all that information accumulated, we will do a rankings podcast, compare uh, the ITA rankings to our own rankings. We're also going to give out our top 10 singles players and then doubles team throughout the country, so be on the lookout for that. And then next week, we are going to do one final mega college tennis preview podcast. Matt and Chris are going to join me to go through some fun college prop bets I've made up to give our guesses for who is going to win each and every conference across the country. We'll give out some awards. We'll make some predictions. I know Chris wants to talk a little bit about the mid-tier conferences, you know, the, or I should say the non-Power 5. They're not mid-tier. We love them just as much as anyone, but the non-Power 5 conference schools. We'll talk a little bit about the COVID guidelines in that podcast as well because we learned what the scenarios are are going to be for various schools should COVID pop up throughout this 2021 season. And then, of course, we want there to be a mailbag element of that show. We want all of you listeners out there to submit your questions to us either on Instagram, either on Twitter, at Cracked Rackets. You can also tweet at Matt underscore Stack. You can tweet at College Tennis Ranks. You can tweet me at Great Shot Pod. Of course, you can tweet us at Cracked Rackets as well. But we want to know what other things are you listeners curious about heading into this 2021 season? season? Are there players, schools, conferences we haven't talked enough about that you have further questions on? Because again, we just don't want to be ready for what should be a really enjoyable 2021 college tennis season. But with that in mind, again, we still have a little bit of previewing to do, and that is what we are going to do on today's show. We continue our College Contender Series with a discussion on the number two team in our preseason rankings, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Westoff, give me that college contender sound effect. All right, Maddie, you know where we're going to begin. Last season, the Deacons had some momentum on their side when once this uh, before, I should say prior to the season being canceled by COVID. They were 12 and 3, and it does feel worth noting this team uh suffered some losses early in the season. They go to Baylor, they lose 5-2 before the ITA National Indoors. They lose a 4-3 thriller against Ohio State that I'm sure we will talk about later on in this podcast and then they lose the follow-up match the next day to Florida 4-1, but what was so interesting about their team last season was just how many options Coach Bresky had on his roster, how many different lineups he could play, how many young contributors he had who clearly were going to be significant players in college tennis. You guys gave me a bunch of crap last season because I kept saying, no, I'm telling you Wake Forest is going to be really good. No, I'm telling you Wake Forest is going to be really good. Keep them in your top five. You were like, nah, Alex, you're crazy. Now, I might be crazy, but that is not the reason. When you look back at 2020, Maddie, what are your thoughts on the Demon Deacons? What are your takeaways heading into this year? Yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, I think they were just starting to hit their stride as we kind of went to the outdoor portion of the season. Remember, Gruskin, this team last year was pretty young. They had several freshmen that were contributing in their lineup. They were a very young team, 
And I think that's what gave Chris and I a little bit of pause. We said, okay, this team might be a year away yet, right? Like, let's not crown them now and put them in the top five. They were going to have to prove it to us. And they were very, very young, talented for sure. And we knew that, you know, we never denied the talent, but, you know, we just figured it was going to take a little bit of time for them to get going. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, they go to Baylor, obviously a very tough place to play, but they lose that match to a shorthanded Baylor squad that was very, very banged up. Somewhat of a disappointing loss there. Now, turn around to the national indoors, right? You guys were there and they beat that same Baylor squad that was actually at more full strength, you know, at the national indoors. So uh, that was good for them. Very tough match against Ohio State. One of the matches, maybe the match of the season last year. Uh, tremendous match there in Madison. And then they didn't really have much left against Florida. So those were really their only losses. And then they come back after that. They get a win over a ranked Oklahoma State team. They beat a ranked Duke team. They beat Arizona State. And they were about to play the number one team in the country, Southern Cal, USC. That would have been a tremendous match that I know all three of us were looking forward to. But, you know, it was a good season. I think they were on track. And now, looking at this year, it's it's only going to improve, right? They bring everybody back. They have a couple of new guys coming in. I think everything that we saw last year, we can expect that and more because a lot of these guys have another year of experience under their belt. So um, it's looking good for Wake, no doubt. Yeah. No, I mean, I apologize, Maddie. Chris and I are about to go on a rant here for a hot second. Chris, we called that national indoor quarterfinal, which, as Maddie mentioned, was, I think, pretty clearly the best match of the 2020 college tennis season, at least in men's Division One play. And, you know, what was so... Uh, outstanding about that match was just on every court there was a different type of battle unfolding and you know on court number two it was Cannon Kingsley Henry Squire two of the most talented freshmen in the country they go the distance 7-5 in the third it was Selig versus Estafalu those first two sets probably two and a half hours just to finish them and the physicality of that match just two walls against one another of course you had Body Boulay you had Banthia versus Cash and then the most notable of course, James Trotter versus Eduardo Nava. It just, I you know, someone I didn't mention there was Barb Botzer. And I think it's worth noting again, this Wake Forest team, national champions in 2018. They win the team outdoor event as well as the national indoors that season. Botzer played a huge role in winning that title. He clinched the match winning, uh, or the clinched the national title match. And I know it's not the sexiest pick, right? He was, I think, 8-3 and three in dual matches last season, and he doesn't have the flash of a Blumberg, of a Kingsley, of a Kukerman, but Chris, we were there. Bar Botzer is as proven a winner as any player in the country, right? If you have a dual match on the line and you're picking your number one singles player, yeah, there are other options you turn to, of course. We are Will Blumberg fanatics here on the Great Shot Podcast, but... I think it's a crime to not mention Botzer. The guy is just a gamer. He's going to find ways to stay alive, especially in a close match if his team needs it. And I just think you could feel that quality about this Wake Forest team from watching it in person. Now, people have accused me of being hyperbolic, of being an easy sell. I've said it before. When I ask my hypothetical girlfriend to marry me, I'm going to have Tony Bruschi make the pitch. But, you know, Chris... I, did you feel that at all with this Wake Forest team? Don't you feel as, you know, I just feel like there there's something about them that is particularly special. Yeah, 
mean that you know the interesting thing in that Ohio State match was that probably the match that you would have thought could have had the most fireworks on it would have been a Botzer McNally match. Uh, and compared to what else went on on the courts, that one was relatively quiet uh, compared to the three you mentioned between the the C League match, the obviously the Nava Trotter match, and the Squire Kingsley match. Those were just, I mean, all three of those matches were incredible. But yeah. You know, the, the the funny thing here with, with what you're talking about is, yes, Botzer is one of those guys that probably, as many guys are right now, underrated on the UTR just because of, you know, what's who's been playing, who they've been playing during the whole pandemic. Um, when he, he doesn't play the full schedule for Wake last year, right? He's, he plays when he needs to play, maybe doesn't in, in some other matches. Uh, but you know, and Tony knows, when he throws him out there and he needs him, he's going to be there. At the same time, it's I'd say there's a 50-50 shot right now. He doesn't even line up at number one to start the year, uh, which which we also heard from Coach Bresky, right? I mean, Henry Squire made a huge jump in the offseason. So you've got these both of these two guys at the top two spots that on paper look a little undermanned, especially when you compare them to the likes of like a North Carolina in conference. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they, they'll line up and play with anybody. Yeah, I mean, look, Squire had a rough patch last year when they went indoors. He loses in three to Kingsley. That was a phenomenal match. That next day, first of all, for that Wake Forest team to have to play the next day, and, you know, Coach Tucker joked about it. They lost in 45 minutes to North Carolina. They played a four-hour match, literally, deep into the night, and then they had to have the quick turnaround. They suffered because of that, and I think you could see it on both teams. Just the legs weren't there, the emotion. It was hard to replicate what you saw before uh, the night before. But, yeah, I just think Squire has – you could see in his game, he's a big guy with his serve. As you mentioned, he's had some ITF results over the past nine months as well. There's a lot to like about his game. And, of course, uh, you look at the roster, Maddie, that this team brings back, the new additions they have as well. Like, there's an argument you can make. I mean, you look by UTR right now for this Wake Forest team. Botzer is number one. Squire is number two. There's a .01 gap between the two of them. But then they have, I believe, uh, four other guys who are all 13.4s by UTR, right? In Maroni, Tachi, Nava, Efstafalu. This team... We talked about it last week with Baylor. If you're going to line up two squads, I legitimately think Wake Forest and Baylor could field two top 20 teams this season. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, Wake Forest has, I mean, they could very well be the deepest team in the country. I would say them and Baylor, right? Wake Forest, Baylor, I think it's pretty clear that those two squads, you know, go 11, 10, 11, 12 deep, whatever it is. I mean, Wake Forest is ridiculous. There's so many guys What's going to be interesting, though, is like you mentioned, Gruskin, all of these guys, like a lot of them are going to be interchangeable, right? And we talked about this last week with Baylor. It's like, who plays where? Does it go depending on matchups? Who's playing well? I mean, you didn't even mention Sid Banthia, Taha Badi, Rezart Kungu. I mean, there are so many guys. Adam Ambrosi comes in from Columbia. He was a key contributor for that Columbia team that was so good over the last several years. So, I mean, they're loaded, man. They're as deep as it gets. If they have any injuries, if they run into COVID problems, there is nothing to worry about here whatsoever. They can field two teams if they need to. You know, I was going to make a joke, and now I'm starting to realize that people listen to this podcast, and so when I make jokes, I get in trouble. So I'm going to leave this joke on the table. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, when you talk about this depth on this lineup, it's absolutely, you could go 10, 11 guys deep, right? Yuval Solomon's another name. We've seen him play college matches and have success. And yeah, like Adam Ambrosi is almost an afterthought in the singles lineup, which is crazy to say because he had so much success during his time in Columbia. And, you know, Chris, you look at some of the statistics from the 2020 season from the guys that they are bringing back. It's not like any of them, you know, struggled particularly where you'd pointed out and you'd say, oh, this guy is probably an obvious spot for where they could go. I mean, their worst position was seven and seven last season at the number two singles position. And we spent, you know, three minutes in this podcast already praising the guy who went one in four at the two singles position in Henry Squire because we think with more dual match experience he'll get better and better but yeah you know body was seven and five last year in dual matches four and two at the three singles position seemed to be finding his stride towards the end of the season Sid Banthia five and three in dual matches but we know how solid he is at the number six singles position he was as a freshman uh, when they made the finals of course last season he had a Phenomenal year as well. A guy like F. Stoffelu, ten and two in dual matches last season. He's not coming out of the lineup. That's as sure of a thing at the number four singles position as you're going to find in the country. You know, I mentioned all of those guys. And they have two of the top 10 newcomers, according to the ITA rankings, in the country, Chris. And so even before you get to the lineup, how many guys do you think could legitimately work their way into this lineup, you know, seriously during this season, assuming, you know, it's NCAA time? How many guys do you consider players capable of playing in a national championship winning NCAA roster? And just, again, the depth, how do you see it all shaking out for the Deacons? I mean, I still that if you were to tell me right now we're they're we're going to start the NCAA tournament and you got to tell me which you know how many guys have a shot to be in one of the six spots in you know four months from now I think there's ten guys maybe nine I mean I don't know if I'm going to throw it depends whether you want to throw Yuval Solomon out or not to me right he's like number ten but he's played right so I can't throw him out. Yeah. Uh, depending on how he's come, you know, come along over the summer. So, so realistically, that that's ten guys that realistically could make it. I can't even say that for the Baylor team we reviewed, right? I mean, they're deep, but I don't think I can go. Yeah, ten guys could play in the lineup. I think there's like eight. It's a, out of eight guys, you can pick the six. I don't have to go any further than that. Here, I don't know. You you could get. I mean, how do you say no to Banthia Kungu? Uh, Taha Badi, Adam Ambrosi, Yuval Solomon, all of those guys could be playing number six. Mm-hmm. And of course, we'll see Coach Bresky mix them all in throughout the season. Now, you shared this concern, Chris, with the Baylor roster. I want to go back to you uh, with this question as well. You look at this team. They don't have a guy that's stud, right, who's over 14 UTR, the Galarnos of the world, the Blumbergs of the world, just to look even within their conference. But you know, they do have a plethora of 13-4 pluses. And so my question uh, to you, as you brought up with Baylor, you look at the top three, and I think you're lying to yourself if you think Barbatzer, when it matters. Yeah, as you mentioned, Chris, he's this whole year is a siesta. He's taken a nap during February and March, and then he'll come back and play a little bit in April. You know, why not? He's going to focus on his academics during those first two months. But um He's a lock to be in their top three, and I think we could like him at any of those top three positions, but 
you know, do you are, are you concerned that they're obviously bottom heavy, but they're are they a little bit weak at the top? Are you concerned about that at all as you look at them compared to the other, you know, five schools we have in the discussion as national title contenders? Yeah, I mean, I think that's I don't know that I'd call it weak, but I would say if you're going to try to beat them and think that they're susceptible somewhere that you want to definitely go after the top three. Right. I mean, the whoever they throw out below that is going to be ridiculously hard. But yeah, between, uh, you know, what is inevitably going to be Botzer and Squire somewhere in the top three and then the third that you can throw in. Who knows, right? It could be Nava, it could be Estatio, it could be Tachi, could be Maroni. I, I don't know who who's going to be that third guy, but I think those that's the spots you got to pick on. You got to think you try to win two out of three in the top three, uh, and then you know they've traditionally not been a great doubles team, uh, you know doubles doubles point team, uh, if you will. So you look to take doubles, try to get two of the top top three, and then you still got to go find one of the matches at four, five, six. Now, if you're Carolina or a Baylor or an Ohio State, that doesn't sound all that daunting to you, right? You should get one of the matches at four, or five, or six. But but I think that's the that's the the match calculus, as you like to say, for how you try to go after uh, go after Wake Forest. Hey, you know, I don't like anything more than hearing myself quoted. Yeah, you look at this team, what they did last season, um, in their three dual match losses to Baylor, to Florida, to, uh, I believe it was Ohio State, uh, they lost two singles flights out of the one, two, and three singles positions in each of those matches now on a couple, you know, I think they won the doubles point over Florida, but we talked about they just ran out of legs during the singles portion of that match against Baylor, against Ohio State. Uh, they lost, uh, well, actually, against Ohio State, did they lose the uh, two of them? No, I think they lost the doubles point uh, because I think Taha Badi beat Boulay. Yeah, he did. They lost the doubles point. They lost four and five, so that was incorrect. Hey, great shot to me. Uh, But the point being, yeah, they're vulnerable in that top three. They play a lot of tight matches against the best schools, and that's something to worry about because, yeah, when you talk about – uh, these upper echelon teams, you know, we talked about it with USC, Destanich, Jackson, Bullis, all of those guys in the bottom half of the lineup, they can all ball. Uh, you talk about Ohio State, you know, Trotter and uh, JJ, uh, JJ Tracy and just, you know, the options they're going to have. They can, Justin Boulay, they can all ball down there. Obviously, North Carolina, all of these schools have, Baylor, we, we talked about it all. You're playing Knicks to Koyak at six singles. You think you're going to win that match? Good luck, my friend. Um, but I do, I don't know, I... It's a big bet on Squire and Body, right? And these freshmen. I mean, I don't know as much about these freshmen. I haven't seen them play yet. We didn't get to see them play any of the fall events, Maddie. But when you look at this Wake Forest team, where do you stand on this argument about their top three? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you guys. It's very similar to Baylor, right? It's very, very similar. They're almost identical teams. I think the difference here, though, is... I'm probably going to feel a little bit better about doubles with Baylor than I do with Wake Forest. And I've always had concerns with Wake Forest in doubles. Like, and, and I don't know, Tony, like if he's emphasized, of course they emphasize doubles, right? I mean, he knows what he's doing, but it just seems like in the past couple few years, they've been so reliant on, oh, okay, we can lose the doubles point. We'll find four singles matches, no problem, against almost every school they play. And that was a formula that would work for them. But this year, 
with all of the parity in college tennis, with all of the depth that we've been talking about for all of our contenders, that's not going to work. Like, if you're dropping doubles points and you need to win four singles consistently, I don't like that. I don't like that for Wake Forest. So I do think they are a bit susceptible up top. They're going to beat everybody outside of the top 10, no problem. Look, Boxer, Squire, Body, whoever it is, these guys, I'm not worried about them against most teams. But when we get down to the final four, maybe even the top eight, quarterfinals, semifinals, championship matches, that's where you're going to want to expose them. Because again, four, five, and six, they're going to be favored in almost every single match they play, maybe other than Baylor, four through six. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I think that's a really good point, Maddie, and I think this is where the recruits come in and just, you know, to offer perspective last year on their doubles lineup because, you know, to your point, by the way, when you have, and this is nothing, this is not new information for Tony Bresky, who's as good as any coach out there in the country, when you have Gojo and Frisoko, first of all, Petros Frisokos at two singles was maybe the lock of the decade. You're just like, okay, we're up 1-0. Skander <laughs> Mansuri at three singles. You're like, okay, we're up 2-0. Right, And then you're like, okay, we just really need to find two more somewhere. And Gojo at one is usually a lock, but there are a lot of good players at number one singles. And so, uh, you know, 90% of the season, you're like, okay, we're up 3-0. Now we literally just have to find one more point. It was interesting to see this team have to negotiate you know, not having those two locks on the board last season. Now, they were pretty much a lock at the number four singles position. They went 12-2 and two on the year, 11-3 and three at number three singles. So, again, that's where that depth shines through. But you look at what they were in doubles, 7-5 and five at the number one doubles position, 5-5 five and five at the number two doubles position, 10-5 th- uh, and five at the number three uh, doubles position. Chris, here are the teams that played most often. Nava and Squire at number one doubles. They went 7-5. and five. They played all of their matches. There, They continued to struggle at the bottom of the lineup throughout the season. Body and Estafalu, the best team at number two doubles, they went two and two. So, like, you're not writing home, hey, mom, I'm two and two. You should be really proud of me. Like, two and two is fine. Four and two for Barbotzer and Morgan Dill, who we haven't spoken a word about on this podcast yet, at the number three singles position. By the way, you could roll out Botzer and one-shouldered Chris and probably do okay at the number three doubles position throughout the year because Barbotzer is that good, but... Now you have Adam Ambrosi. Now you have two more recruits uh, in the two Italians. I apologize. I don't know their names yet. I will look at them in a second. But I don't know. When you're doing match calculus, let's play some match calculus. Let's break down the lineup a little bit. What do you expect the lineup to break down to be for the Demon Deacons? And ultimately, what do you think their pathway to four points is against the North Carolinas, Ohio States, USC's, uh, Baylor's of the world? Wow. I mean, I, I well, yeah, loaded I, question. It, it almost has to be a foregone conclusion that you see at least to start the year Squire and bots are in the top two spots, whatever order they're in. Those guys have to occupy the top two spots. Um, you know, between Tachi and Maroney, you know, not only have we not seen them, 
Tony hasn't seen them. Okay, <laughs> you know they haven't even been on campus. They they've been home. So, uh, you know, to figure out what he's got really quickly in those guys, evaluate them, and figure out where to put them in the lineup, I, I have a hard time believing that either one of them would justifiably find themselves in front of a stop you at three, uh, unless you're just, you know, playing yourself a little mini stack for just for the hell of it, uh, come <laughs> kickoff weekend. Right. Um, so I got, I mean, I think if you're playing it straight up, you, you play Melios at three, just because you know what you've got. Uh, and then now it gets really interesting because you've got the two freshmen, you've got Nava and Nava's played great, uh, some great tennis here over, the fall he's played some good doubles with his brother uh and and then you still got to figure out between you know taha body who was solid in the lineup last year hell he was like three four i think uh you know a lot of three i think even and sid banthia holding either of those guys out is going to be tough i honestly don't know i i feel pretty good about saying i think those top three are in the lineup for sure and i'd probably make them the top three i don't see how unless he's hurt you hold eduardo nava out of the lineup either so I think he's four. You've got to lean at least early on to your returners. But now it's open after that for five, six. You've got two freshmen. And in my mind, Body and, and, and Banthia to start. The other guy's probably not right off the bat. They're obviously, as Tony said, the doubleheaders against the you know non-top 20-type teams, everyone's going to play. But come kickoff weekend, what lineup goes in, and, and not really what lineup goes in, but what lineup gets played – um, I think it's the four returners and probably, I don't know if both freshmen, I think just one of the freshmen, probably each time I, it'd be really risky to go with both of them. One of the freshmen, probably Tachi gets in and then probably Taha body. So those two guys probably fill out the five, six spots. Yeah. Look, three through nine singles. All of these guys are 13 UTR. I should say a 13.2 UTR or above. And by the way, that's without playing many matches because of the lack of opportunities because, again, we're in the midst of a pandemic. But, yeah, as you mentioned, Chris, and you can go hear Coach Bresky talk about it on the Cracked Interviews podcast with Chris and I, he hasn't seen a lot of these players play in quite a bit of time because of the various COVID regulations, because students abroad weren't allowed to come over during the fall semester, and now they aren't really allowed to come over until the start of this season, and, you know, it's going to be a pretty fast start for them. They've been on campus for a week by the time they're playing their first dual match, and it's just like, you know, Kungu, Body, Banthia. By UTR, all three of those guys not in the lineup right now. And like Eduardo Nava is a fifth, sixth year senior, whatever it may be, in the poetry of him clinching a match over TCU where he started his college tennis career is something all of us could look forward to. But like, I was he that impressive? Like, th- talk about a man who hits the cover off of the ball, but. There's a I, I like I don't know if he's a sure thing at the number four singles position. I think Botzer, Squire, and Efstafalu are locks. Like they're locks. Pencil them in. They will be one through six somewhere. How do you not play Sid Banthia at six singles, given the success he's had through his first two dual match seasons? To me, that the thought of not doing that, unless you have a stud, Maddie, uh, is crazy. And so I don't know. Is that stud exist in like poor Reserve Kungu, who might literally? not find himself again solidified in an NCAA lineup. Yeah, I mean, but here's here's the thing, right? The stud could be Tachi. It could be yeah. Maroney. And if that's the case, I'm sorry, Sid, but maybe you have to scoot on out of there, out of that lineup, okay? Like, 
that's not a bad thing, right? Sid, we know what we're, gonna, we're, what we're going to get out of Sid at number six. He's been solid. He's a very solid player. But I think there's going to be a lot more upside for guys like Tachi and Maroney. Here's what, here's what Tony's going to have to do, okay, guys? Matches prior to the kickoff weekend. They play Charlotte. They play a doubleheader against Gardner-Webb. They play Tennessee, and they play East Tennessee State. Those are all matches prior to the kickoff weekend starting this weekend, okay? I think if I'm Tony, in at least half of those matches, I'm going to put Tachi and Maroney in there in the lineup, whether it's at four and five, five and six, wherever it is, and just see what I've got because he hasn't seen them. They haven't played matches. We got to figure this out quickly. Because when they get to the kickoff weekend, you know, he might go, all right, I'm going to pull the freshman. I'm going to go with what I know, and I'm going to roll with my lineup of Botzer, Squire, Melios, Nava, Body, and Banthea, right? And he goes straight up experience. No freshman in the lineup whatsoever. That wouldn't shock me to see those six play at the kickoff weekend. But what happens if all of a sudden against Charlotte and against maybe Tennessee, Gardner-Webb, these freshmen look so good that you're like, okay, Sid, I'm sorry, but we've got Tachi and he's going to play number six here for us against Oklahoma during the kickoff weekend. It could go multiple different ways. I just think in these early matches, they're going to have some things to figure out. I just, there's something about the Banthea game style. I just like it at six singles more than I like the thought of Eduardo Nava playing six singles. And yeah, there will be guys at six who just don't well, hit the ball hard true. enough. And Nava hits them off the court, but just that's a bad. Banthi is a gamer. He's just—it's a bad, bad take. Chris, you're laughing at me too. It's a three and a half hour moonball match. That's what he wants. Yeah, it right. belongs. I mean, There's got to be one of them in every dual match. If you're telling me you'd rather have Sid over Nava, at come on, man. Like, fine, I'll take Nava then. You take Sid, I'll take Nava. Let's let's do it. I'm not saying that, but I'm not not saying that either. I'm saying. I, I know Sid Banthia at six singles. You can throw at the push. You can throw Connor Johnston at him. You can throw Robbie Cash at him. It doesn't matter. Like, he's going to do his thing. I agree. I, I just I, I just feel like Nava's a little more volatile. And, like, volatile for me, I don't know why I have this in my head, but that's five singles. And, like, maybe you throw Nava at five. But the concept of Nava playing some of those grinders, I feel like that might just – he'd just be like, what the f*** am I doing here? Like, I am too old for this sh- Chris? Yeah, I don't know, Gruskin. I, I th- you, you like to throw these obscure references in every now and then, and this one m- might be a little bit too much d- because it predates you. But I think this Sid <laughs> may be as likely as Sid Finch for the Mets in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what's funny? I'm the Jewish one, and you bring up Sid Finch. Now, I don't know if he's Jewish. I just assume a guy named Sidney might be. Um, anyways, that's a thought for another time. Yeah, I look, every so often i got to throw one of those theories just to make sure you guys are awake. But something you referenced to, Maddie and Chris, is the fact that doing this this late in the process, we finally do have a schedule for one of these teams we're discussing. Let's look at that schedule quickly uh, for the Demon Deacons. And talking to Coach Bresky, Chris, you could hear how creative he planned on getting this season to ensure his team can play as many matches as possible. Triple, triple header on Saturday, Charlotte, Gardner-Webb, Gardner-Webb. They've got Tennessee next 
Tuesday, East Tennessee State next Tuesday as well. After the kickoff weekend, they'll play South Carolina and at Virginia before the national indoors begin. After that, you look at some non-conference people they still have on their schedule. Baylor at home traveling to UCF. Uh, They're going at Georgia as well. It's a pretty nice schedule. I mean, Chris, I want to go to you first. Is there anything that jumps out from the way Coach Bresky did his scheduling uh, that that you may see as a pattern we see occurring across the country? Anything noticeable to you? And how many hidden duels am I missing on this schedule? No, well, yeah, I don't. Not so much for the hidden duels, but I, I think what you notice, and you'll see with a lot of a lot of the teams where they're bringing in new guys, right? Is they've got to set some matches up to be able to get the new guys in and. and and let everybody play, which you're seeing with, you know, the Gardner webs, the, you know, you know, what I like about it is even Charlotte and East Tennessee state, both at good teams. So they're, it's not like, you know, Gardner web. Okay. They're going to play whoever they want, but, uh, but there's some good players on both the Charlotte and East Tennessee state teams. I really like the Tennessee match. They're getting that at home, but that's a great uh, pre kickoff weekend tester for them uh, against another team you know, playing in a kickoff weekend that's, you know, in reality, probably the the favorite to come out of that region. But that that'll be a great match. And then the Oklahoma match, it's I mean, it's good. It could be could be better. But, uh, you know, and then obviously a lot of re- just a lot of regional. They're, they're going to play South Carolina. They're going to play some non-conference matches against conference foe. Uh, right. But but yeah, I like I like the early season get the matches in with a lot of guys to play uh, and get a good tester before the kickoff weekend in Tennessee to really figure out. And I, that's the match I look to, to kind of say, I think this may be the test for the guys that he's questioning. Should they be in? Like, I almost think he's got to play at least one, if not both freshmen there to say, you show me that you can play here. We'll win the match anyway, hopefully at the top, but uh, you guys got to show us you deserve to be in the lineup, and and let's see what we really got. Mm-hmm. Maddie, you see a home and home against North Carolina, home and home against a sneaky good, in my opinion, University of Virginia team. I cannot wait for the Who's to be back on top and to start talking Who's tennis once again on this podcast more frequently. I see you both shaking your head. Trust me, it's coming, folks. Uh, Andres Pedroso knows what he's doing, but Maddie, when you start to look at this team in the conference, how do you th- see things shaking out for the Demon Deacons? And of course, again, any added thoughts fr- from you? you uh about their schedule in 2021 yeah it's it's a loaded schedule guys i mean they have a lot of really good opponents i mean there are going to be plenty of opportunities for them to keep their ranking at the top no question about it the home and home with unc back to back is super interesting like that caught my eye immediately you rarely see that like this this covid season I feel like this might be the one of the only times that we see that. I can't remember going back-to-back Wake, North Carolina over the past I, – I, before Gojo, before those guys got there. I mean, we're talking like six, seven years ago that that would have happened. Now, Can I just I, quickly, to jump onto that, what that's Jedi mind-tricking from Coach Bresky once again. He's going to be like, okay, the first time I'm going to throw this lineup at you. Oh, it didn't work? Well, I'm going to throw completely – completely different lineup like I feel like there's a legitimate chance you could see six different guy uh six different singles alignments uh in both matches that it could be just completely different lineups well here's the thing that's interesting right and if I'm not mistaken 
the match that's in Chapel Hill is the one that's actually going to count for the conference standings. I'm not 100% sure on that, but if I remember correctly, yeah, last year that match was scheduled to be at Wake Forest. So the one that's going to count is going to be in Chapel Hill. However, they're going to play in Winston-Salem like five days before that match. So that's a major advantage for Coach Bresky and the Deeks. They get to play the Tar Heels at home, and it's really not even going to count for the conference standings, and then they'll get to go to Chapel Hill, and they know what to be prepared for. That's going to be super interesting. Now, in terms of how they stack up in the ACC, they're going to be right at the top. There's no question this team's loaded, guys. We have them number two on our contenders. There's a reason for that. It's just there's another team that happens to be North Carolina that we also have at number one. So for me, I've got them number two. I think they're going to finish second in the conference. I think there's going to be a... I don't want to say a huge gap between Wake and everybody else at three, four, five, but there's going to be a bit of a gap there, right? With the next teams, we're talking NC State, we're talking Virginia, those types of schools. I think it's North Carolina, Wake Forest right behind them, and then everybody else comes in after that. So right now, I'm going to pick uh, the Deeks to finish number two, second in the ACC. If you look at the UTRs in the conference, Wake Forest an 81.11, NC State's a 78.05, Virginia in 80.26, and then of course North Carolina ahead of the Deacons, 81.45, so I don't think that's an unfair assessment. Now of course NC State's going to play above their UTR, but I, I think with the depth that they have, yeah, they're going to be the team, and that's where things get really interesting, right Chris, because the fact that they have the home and home against UNC Wake Forest does have the depth to offer the Tar Heels problems. Now, you know, the Tar Heels are also kind of perfectly built to exploit the things Wake Forest is least good at. Doubles, that's where UNC thrives. One, two, three. Blumberg uh, and Cernok, and uh, Cernok, excuse me, sorry. He was a Cracked Interviews, a podcast, so he's number two in my heart. But uh, Seguin and Hijikata, that's a top three that, you know, no one in the country is going to want to mess with. And so there's their pathway to four points. But would it shock you? If Wake Forest took one of the Tool Duo matches or maybe the conference championship uh, battle that feels inevitable from the Tar Heels at some point this season? I don't know. I mean, I'd be a little shocked. I wouldn't be totally shocked. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, just a, it's asking a lot because the North Carolina strengths are the areas where we say Wake Forest is susceptible, right? North Carolina is great in doubles. And they have a tremendous top three. We just got done saying, eh, so-so in doubles and susceptible in the top three for Wake Forest. So, I mean, you you couldn't pick a sort of worse matchup, if you will, uh, for a team for them to have to go head-to-head with uh, and and try to beat in, in their own conference. So I think that, I think, is is asking a lot. I, I still wouldn't necessarily be be totally shocked but yeah it's going to surprise me if they can manage to pull off four matches against North Carolina if then that now that's assuming Wake Forest has considerably more depth than North Carolina does should North Carolina you know should either team need that depth uh in terms of guys being injured being sick being COVID related even if it's not them but it's contact tracing and they have to sit right 
All of those things are likely to happen. It could be false positive tests. I mean, it's going to happen, whether it's these schools or other schools. That will happen during the year if and when those things happen. If they happen at the wrong time, Wake Forest is much better situated to, you know, to account for that than North Carolina is. Mm-hmm. No, and look, as Maddie mentioned, we have them number two in our preseason rankings. I had them two in my personal poll. Maddie had them two. Chris, you had them four. But they're absolutely in the tier of national title contenders. And with that in mind, let's make some predictions for the Demon Deacons. Let's start with their lineup, Maddie. I'm sorry to ask this of you, but I'm going to have you go first. Give me uh, the singles lineup you expect to see Coach Bresky roll out come ITA kickoff weekend. Give me how you think they're going to stack up in the conference. And then, of course, we're they stack up nationally as well all right so the lineup come kickoff weekend if we're really going to do this i'm just i'm going to go with the known quantities right i'm going to go with what i know and i'm going to say bots are one squire two uh melios three nava four body five and actually you know what that nava body at four five that could be flipped. I could I could see that either way. I could see body at four and Nava at five. That's a that's a toss up. Okay, so don't hold me to that. Four and five, and then Sid Banthia at six. There you go, Gruskin. I know that's what you're looking for. The reason I'm saying this is because all of those guys are known quantities. Tony knows exactly what he's getting, and going into the kickoff weekend, they have to make it to indoors. That's super important. Now, I think before. For that, we're going to see some of these freshmen in there for sure. We talked about Charlotte, Gardner, Webb, Tennessee. Those freshmen are going to be in there. So don't be shocked if you see them. That's my lineup, okay? Now, in terms of the ACC, I picked them number two. I have them coming in right behind North Carolina with a chance, right? I mean, they could... I'm saying, look, they have the depth. Could Wake Forest win four, five, and six and make Carolina sweat out one of those matches? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could maybe sneak out a 4-3 win. I'm not counting on it. I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. It wouldn't totally shock me. So UNC won in the conference, Wake 2. In terms of the national landscape, I think it's I, I think it's a Final Four team. I really do. I think they're going to make the Final Four just on their depth alone, but they're need to, they have to get something in doubles going. If they can't win doubles points they're not going to get to the final four. I could see them bowing out in the quarterfinal round in the top eight if they don't figure out doubles. So that's going to be important. Their depth should carry them through, and I, I think they can make the final four. So that's where I have them finishing uh, nationally in a, a final four finish, top four. Yeah, you know, to your point, if Ben Seguin wakes up on the wrong side of a bed on any given day, Wake Forest could absolutely steal a 4-3-4-2 victory from the yeah. Tar Heels. They do have the depth to, uh, you know, really have options at the bottom of the lineup and you know, sort of a cop out there in terms of the pairings in, in doubles. And it's so hard to say, right, because we haven't really seen any of these fall pairings. We haven't got the chance to see, and neither has Coach Bresky. Um, but no, I think, you know, again, in terms of floor, much like with Baylor, if this team does anything worse than top four finish quarterfinals of, you know, top four finish in the rankings and then quarterfinal appearance come NCAA tournament, I'll be shocked. Because I just don't know how a lesser team upsets this team. Again, so many of them, they are going to have so many different paths to four points. So I agree very much with your analysis. Chris, all the same questions to you. Yeah, I think, I mean, lineup-wise, we're going to be about as successful as 
predicting what that lineup's going to be as Tony would be himself right now because I don't yep. think he's got a clue. Uh, he's got to see these guys. But I, I'm I'm kind of with Maddie in that if you make me pick it now, I I kind of got to go with the guys I know. I'll flip Squire and Botzer and say that we start Squire one, Botzer two. Uh, I go Melios three. Uh, I think I. Yeah, I don't. Four, five, six <laughs> to me is a toss up. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go like Nava four, Body five, and throw one of the freshmen at six. But Banthi is, you know, he's listed seven. And he could easily just pull six and play Banthia. I think that's the way it goes. You know, either way, it doesn't matter who you list there. But I, but I, th- and and Tony seemed to speak some some good things about Maroney and and some of the results he had had. So so maybe it's Maroney. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I'll I mean, say this in in doubles. So if we want to talk on the doubles for just a second, I think we know that Squire and Nava are going to be that team at number one. They were pretty good last year, ranked yeah. team. Um, I, I would feel pretty good. I mean, if you're Tony, you have to go with them at number one doubles. I think it's the best option. After that, I wouldn't be shocked to see, like, Barbots are playing with somebody like Adam Ambrosi, you know, mm-hmm. in the doubles lineup. And, and another team that I'll throw out there, guys, that has played in the past, Melios and Sid Banthia. I could see them at number three doubles, right? I mean, that's a, that's going to be a solid team. They played together in the past. So I'm kind of envisioning something. We go Squire and Nava, maybe Botzer and Ambrosi, or maybe Botzer and one of the freshmen if they're really good at doubles. And then maybe Melios and Sid. I don't know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think the difference between Wake Forest and Baylor, and maybe if we look back, you would maybe flip them in the rankings, or at least I would, is, as you mentioned, Maddie, La and Franzen are going to be a doubles pairing for Baylor. You can lock that in at the number one position. You can lock in Soto is going to be playing doubles with, uh, is it with your brother? Charlie is it, Broom. Is it with, no, no, with Charlie, Charlie Broom. Excuse me. Yes, thank you. And then Nick is going to be playing with either Spencer or Adrian. You know, you can lock yeah. that in right now. With yep. Wake Forest, you, you can lock in Nava and Squire if you want. I think they'll both be in the doubles lineup. I don't know they'll necessarily be paired together, but yeah, that you don't even have a set pairing that you're just sure, like lock that in, sure thing, if you're the Demon Deacons, and that that's an issue. You know, especially that's why you're playing so many matches. Look for those doubles lineups more than anything else. I think it goes Botzer 1, Squire 2. I think one of the freshmen sneaks in at 3 by UTR. You'd say Tachi, but as you mentioned, Chris, Bresky was pretty high on Maroney as well. I just think it's going to be Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, Estafalu is lining up at four singles. It's just happening. There's always there's always some chicanery with the with a Tony Bresky lineup. That's Bruskin. the chicanery time to out, expect. Time out, time out, You think there's going to be a freshman at number 3? Yeah, I think they're going to be really good. I think there's a reason these guys are some of the top 10 newcomers in Ooh. the country. 
Okay. Look, All right. some They're spice gonna for you. They're going to have to prove you. something quick. Yeah, that's some spice right there. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, And then, you know, after that, it gets so tough. So now I'm at four with the Stafflu. I'll go Nava five. Uh, I'll go ba. Uh, I'll go Nava five. I'll go body six. You guys have talked me into Nava, but I don't feel great <laughs> about that. I don't feel great about that. So you're not um, going to put the guy that you were talking about, Sid Banthia, <laughs> this whole time. You're not even going to put him in your lineup. That's just. I'm just Chris, so happy. No, no one can see the smirk on my face. This is too funny. Like, the guy that is just pleading for Sid Banthia to play six then pulls him out of his own lineup. You can't make that up, man. That, well, no. That so here's what's right going to happen. Gruskin was a coach. He talked to the, he's talked these guys up all day. You're, oh, you're awesome. You're awesome. And then a set, oh, but you can't play. Sorry. <laughs> no. But then what happens is Banthia's number seven. Bresky's going to pull that, that freshman from the number three singles position. And then it's going to be Estafalu at three, Nava four, Body five, Banthia six. The, the freshman is the, uh, the Tim Siebert uh, memorial placeholder in this lineup for everyone. And then when you do some lineup chicanery, the freshman comes out. And obviously TCU on kickoff weekend, that's a team with established veterans and depth as well. So that's going to be an absolute battle. But one of the freshmen is getting in the lineup, and I hate to say it, I think it's going to be at the expense of Nava, but my projected lineup says otherwise. Yeah, look, I like to play both sides. You you guys are out. That gig is out. Everyone's caught up to my act. Oh, yeah. Everyone yeah. knows, man. You can't get away with it anymore. It's too obvious now. I know. I know. Someone was like, you're a closet Buckeye fan. I'm like, I really am. I'm like, I am. I, I really like the Buckeyes. Like, that's my team. <laughs> um, but anyways, look, in terms of conference and nationally, they're going to get three shots at the Tar Heels. If they get a fourth shot at them come NCAA tournament, do you know how hard it is to go 4-0 on a team? Is North Carolina that much better than Wake Forest that they can beat them four times consecutively? I can't say definitively that answer is yes. And just with the depth this team has, their pathway to four points in 98% of matches they're going to play this season is as broad as any team uh, in the country. That includes North Carolina. That includes Baylor. They're right with them in terms of their pathway to four I expect this team to be my seventh NCAA semifinalist, right? Uh, I think that's the number we're at now. But I expect this team to make the NCAA semifinals. I think anything less with the amount of talent they have, one through ten, is an unequivocal disappointment. I do expect them to steal a match from the Tar Heels at some point this season. Now, will it be in the NCAAs? I don't think so, at least not right now. But could wow. it be during at some point during the ACC season? Yes. Like, I, I absolutely think so. And so that would be where I stand. I think I was the one that pushed you, Mandy, to have them at number two. I just think top to bottom, as much talent as anyone, and then the veteran experience, having a guy like Barbotzer in a season with so much uncertainty, no ad scoring, you don't know the conditions, give me Barbotzer on my team. Like, that, when I'm making my picks around the country, who do you want? He's in the top five because that guy's just a gamer. And I know that's stupid, but when you have such thin margins between these teams, that's the sort of thing that can differentiate a couple of guys. And, like, if Stoffelou, Botzer, roll the balls out, let them play, we'll be all right. That's a, you know, for our prop bet episode, Gruskin, that's a great prop bet right there. What's the money line on Wake beating North Carolina 
any time during the season. They no, could, that's easy. Plus they 225. Play, they're they're going to play at least twice, maybe three, and possibly four times. Yeah, I would say plus 225. If I said, because North Carolina is probably minus 350 to go undefeated in the ACC conference. Anyways, well, yeah, you know what? We'll save it for the prop show. We'll save it for the prop show. Yes. Anyways, this Wake Forest team, uh, I don't think we actually got your expectations, Chris, nationally. What do you think they can do? Uh, yeah, I I mean, I think nationally there's, well, obviously I expect them to come in second in the conference behind North Carolina. Um, nationally, I've, I've set up looking for a final, and I want to see that final between North Carolina and, U, and USC. Uh, I do think that this is probably a team that makes it to the semis, and I, I expect them to see them in the semis losing to either North Carolina uh, or USC uh, in the NCAAs. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than anything else, I just can't wait to see college tennis back on our screens. And we're going to get to see the Deacons perform this weekend as well as so many other teams across the country. And again, we've still got a bunch of preview content waiting in the queue for all of you college tennis fans listening today. I said this at the top, but we'll do a rankings podcast tomorrow to be released either Friday or early next week. We'll do our ITA kickoff weekend preview. We'll do a mega college tennis preview that will include things such as prop bets, awards, predictions, and of course, a mailbag section. So if you made it this far in the podcast 55 minutes in you are someone who is loony enough to send us some questions and we're telling you the loonier the better make them funky you want to hear about chris's college tennis experiences you want to hear why definitively i would beat maddie two and two if we stepped on the court tomorrow that and so much more uh all topics fair game so of course be feel free to send in those questions at college tennis ranks at matt underscore stack at great shot pod or at cracked rackets be on the lookout for that tweet tomorrow as well with the release of this podcast. Uh, with that in mind, Maddie, I'll go to you first. Any final thoughts on the Deacons? Any final thoughts on where we're at heading into this season? Yeah, I mean, look, guys, it, we can't underestimate the Deeks. I mean, they're going to be very, very good. Tony always has his team ready to go. I just think a lot of it's going to depend on how much production are they going to get from the freshmen? How much of an impact can they make? How good really are they? And can they figure out doubles? That is my major question. Can they get doubles squared away? If they can, they're going to be right there at the end. I think it's a very good team, and and I'm excited to watch them play. Mm -hmm. Chris, same question to you. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, again, I'm ready to see them go. I I, kind of harken back to something you said earlier. I'm not sure how all three of us, after we've done these reviews, ended up with Wake in front of Baylor after we talked through the fact that they're very similar teams, but Baylor has a more solidified doubles lineup. They have definitely the more experienced guys to put at 5-6, and somehow we all uh, managed to have Wake uh, in front of them in our rankings. So that obviously speaks to what we think is, is the depth, and that's what I'm looking forward to seeing, and, and we'll get to see that get uh, get going this weekend. Yeah, you know what it was? And again, I said at the beginning, I joked, this is the Matt Stokowiak show. Now, come on. The G and Great Shot podcast stands for Gruskin. We all know that. Um, 
this pick is not indicative, and this is not an indictment, I should say, this next statement on any other coach in the country. But if you're telling me, hey, it's a pandemic season, there is going to be lawlessness. There are going to be so many different circumstances you have to maneuver. If you're telling me right now you can have any coach in the country to help you maneuver those circumstances, I'm taking Tony Bresky. And there are a lot of phenomenal other coaches across the college tennis landscape. I apologize to you, Coach Steinberg, if you hear this. You know I love you like the father you would never want to be to me. Uh, but there's just something about Coach Bresky. I mean, we watched it, Chris, last year at the National Indoors. There's this calmness to him. There's just this sense of like, this is so stupid. I brought this up with Colette Lewis on the GSP, which I assume neither of you listened to because you hear enough of my voice. But like, uh, false. I like to think I've... False. I did listen. Oh, that's it's very kind of you, Maddie. I like to think that I've played on some good teams before. And having played on good teams, I'm not saying I am good. I'm saying I've played on good teams before. And when you play on a good team, you just know. Like, you just kind of know the people who are winners and who aren't. You know the people who win hits the fan you want them on your side and when shit hits the fan I want Tony Brusky on my side and so that's why I have these guys at number two I just think they're gonna be well coached I think they're gamers and I think that and this again this is not to be disrespectful to any other coaches who I would say similar things of but with this amount of talent who do I trust to find that sort of recipe more than anyone else? Tony Bresky, who's going to find the ingredients, who fits where, what he needs to do, who needs to be stacked a position lower just so we can get that extra win. He'll do all of those things and more, and that's why they're number two, in, in at least in my rankings, and that's how I justify it. But again, uh, we will, I'm sure we'll talk more about the Deeks. We'll get to see them tested, not as much this weekend, but of course kickoff weekend against TCU, and we will be back later in this week and throughout the next week to get all of you listeners ready for that. Of course, if you have missed any of the conversations we have had with our coaches on our Cracked Interviews podcast about any of these teams, you've missed any of Matt's preview content, you can find it all on the website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flieger and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. follow along with us at the gsp ace of the day 12 and 9 gentlemen up 20 units through the first week of the season i'm as shocked as both of you but we're moving in the right direction so be sure to follow along with us but with that in mind for my incredible co-hosts matt stokoyak chris Hallioris, our super producers fleekner and westoff our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin gentlemen what do we tell the people hey hey great shot great shot And we will see you all later on in the week. Thanks, everyone.